If you have a Bible, would you open to 2 Corinthians in the New Testament? 2 Corinthians chapter 6. I would encourage you today to keep your Bible open. If you didn't bring a copy, I'm sure you have one on your phone. Paul gives us a very long list of reasons why his ministry is faithful. And so we're going to walk through that. And I think it would be helpful for you just to keep your Bible open as we walk through that. My name is Jody Sledge. I'm one of the pastors here. And it's my joy to be preaching. We are in this series called Gospel Power Through Human Weakness as we're studying Paul's second letter to the Corinthian church. So chapter 6, starting in verse 3, this is the word of the Lord. We put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech and the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise. We are treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold, we live, as punished and not yet killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak to children. Widen your hearts also. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word today, God. We come and we want to receive from you today. God, would you speak to us? Speak to our hearts and our lives. Speak to our worries and our doubts. Speak to our suffering and our sorrow. Lord, help us today as we seek to hold fast to the anchor that is Jesus Christ. God, would you fill us, would you fill me today with your spirit, Lord? so that we might hear from you. God, thank you for your word. Would you bless it in Jesus' name? Amen. So I had to tell Charles, you're doing it wrong. Years ago, I was working at a restaurant, and I was made a trainer, and one night I had a new trainee named Charles. Charles was about 6'3", an African-American brother who was pursuing a career in the Ohio Valley Wrestling League. Now, this is not like Olympic sport wrestling. This is like Saturday night local cable access wrestling. The two of us must have been a funny sight walking around the tables together in the restaurant. But anyways, Charles was a very hard worker. He had a great attitude. 
but he was struggling. At the end of the night, when he would count up all of his money, he would have zero dollars in tips. Now, if you don't know, servers make all of their money for a shift in tips. And so at the end of his shift, he's got zero dollars. He works all night and made no money. So we had to sit down and I had to say, brother, you're doing it wrong. Something is not right here. Whatever you're doing, it's just not working. You know, as Christians, we're called to be servants of God. And we can wonder if we're doing it right. You might have a friend that looks at the suffering in your life and says, are you sure that you love Jesus? Are you sure you're following him? It looks like you're not doing it right. You might read a popular Christian book that says, unless you're doing amazing things for God, you're just not doing it right. You might even look at your own life and, and look at the pain and the weakness, and you might think, am I doing this right? Am I living as a faithful servant of Jesus? You see, we've come to God's word today, and we find the Apostle Paul in this exact situation. There are people in the Corinthian church saying, look at all of Paul's suffering. He can't be a good servant of Christ. He's not doing it right. They're saying Paul has no power. He's got no charisma. There's no success in his ministry. He's not doing it right. They're saying, just look at the man. He's full of weakness and sorrow. He has nothing. There's just no way he's doing it right. And so what Paul is doing for us today in our passage is defending his ministry against these charges. But how exactly is he going to defend himself? Well, really, he doesn't. Instead, he's going to show us that actually his weakness proves the faithfulness of his ministry. Paul is not ashamed of his weakness. He's leaning in, knowing that it displays the glories of Christ. Look what he says in verses 3 and 4. He says, we put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found in our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way. Paul is defending his ministry. In fact, he says it is commendable in every way. And then he's going to give us a list of 27 reasons why his ministry is faithful and good. So I have 27 points for us today. I'm just kidding. He's seeking to prove to them that, look, everything that you're pointing to that says my ministry is unfaithful is actually the reason it is faithful. Look down at verses 11 and 13. He says, we have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. and Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak as to children. Widen your hearts also. Paul is a loving father in the faith. His heart is wide open to them, and he wants their hearts to be open to him too. You see, he's not trying to win the argument here. He's trying to win their hearts. 
And he wants them to see that all of his hardships prove the faithfulness of his ministry. And that's what I want us to see today, too. I want us to see that as servants of God, we must endure suffering. As servants of God, we must embody Christ's likeness. As servants of God, we must embrace the mystery of living for Christ and not for this world. So today, I want us to see the true marks of a faithful servant of God. So let's dig in to see what Paul has to say for why his ministry is faithful. And let's seek to follow his example and be good and faithful servants. I want us to see first that we must endure suffering. A faithful servant of God must endure suffering. So Paul begins to defend his ministry by telling us of the suffering he faced. Look again at verses 4 and 5. As servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance, in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, and hunger. Paul begins by reminding us of the endurance he has shown through his many sufferings. And it is the endurance there at the beginning that is commendable. Listen, anybody can suffer. But Paul has stayed faithful to Jesus in his suffering. He has endured for the sake of Christ. And just look at all that he has endured. First, he gives us three general sufferings, afflictions, hardships, calamities. Paul's ministry has been no stranger to pain. When you read his story in the book of Acts or in these letters, we see that life was so hard for Paul. I mean, he told us earlier in this letter, at one point it was so hard, he wanted to die. But listen, he endured it all for the sake of Christ and the gospel. Paul moves on then to give us three specific sufferings. He says beatings, imprisonments, and riots. Paul will tell us later in the letter that at least nine times he was beaten almost to death. Paul spent years in prison, and he was often caught in the middle of these riots. But listen, he endured it all for the sake of Christ and the gospel. And then Paul gives us, again, three more ways that he has sacrificed personally for this ministry. He says labors, sleepless nights, and hunger. Paul worked endlessly as a minister of the gospel. In many places that he served, he would work as a tent maker all day long. And then he would preach and teach and minister all night long. There's literally times where he taught all through the night. There were times where he spent all night in prison. There were times where he was just too anxious to even sleep. And he faced hunger, too. This could be a reference to fasting, but we also know from the book of Philippians that there were literally times where Paul had nothing to eat. His ministry was a life of sacrifice. But listen, he endured it all for the sake of Christ and the gospel. And so why is Paul telling us this? What's his point? You see, the people who were against Paul 
were pointing to his suffering as proof that his ministry was a failure. They were saying, look at how terrible his life is. How can we follow this guy? Why are we listening to this man who suffers so much? But Paul is saying, yes, look at how much I have suffered and I've done it all for Jesus. Paul is not ashamed of his suffering. It's a badge of honor for him because he knows that he is enduring suffering for Jesus. One author put it like this, Paul's endurance declared that the gospel is true and Jesus is worth it. Paul's endurance declared that the gospel is true and Jesus is worth it. I mean, why would he be willing to endure this kind of suffering? Because the gospel is true and Jesus is worth it. That's why. You know, there once was an African warrior from Kenya who came to faith in Christ. When he heard the good news of Jesus, he knew that he had to go back to his village and just tell everyone about the salvation of Christ. But when he got there and he began to tell about Jesus, they beat him nearly to death and they dumped him in a field to die. But he didn't die. And days later, he went back to his village and he began to tell them about Jesus again. And a second time, they beat him almost to death and they dumped him in a field to die. And then a third time, he went back to his people. He went back to tell them about Jesus. And a third time, they began to beat him again. And the last thing he remembered before he passed out was some of the women began to weep. They saw that he was willing to be beaten three times. And they came to believe that what he was telling them must be true. And the whole village came to faith in Christ because this man endured great suffering for the sake of the gospel. His suffering showed them all that the gospel is true and Jesus is worth it. Brothers and sisters, we too must endure suffering because the gospel is true and Jesus is worth it. Servants of God will endure suffering for Christ. I mean, didn't Jesus tell us this? John 15, 20, a servant is not greater than his master. They persecuted me, they will persecute you. Didn't our Savior tell us, in this world you will have many troubles, but take heart, I have overcome the world. The call to follow Christ is a call to come and carry a cross. It's a call to suffer. But why do we do it? Because suffering is just so much fun? No. Because the gospel is true and Jesus is worth it. We endure suffering because Jesus first suffered for us. He died for us on the cross to save us and to redeem us. 
And Jesus is worth any suffering that we might face. You know, today as I look out on our church and I see your faces, I know that many of us have heavy hearts here today. I know many are facing suffering that just seems too heavy. You're facing sorrow that just seems too hard. Facing pain that just seems too deep. And I want us to hear today from God's word loud and clear. This is not proof that you're doing it wrong. God is not punishing you. He's not getting back at you. He finds no pleasure in your suffering. Lamentations 3 verse 33 tells us, The Lord does not afflict us from the heart. He's not cruel. He's not making us suffer just for kicks. God wants us to suffer because the gospel is true and Jesus is worth it. So church, let's endure suffering for the sake of Jesus. Let's link arms together and suffer together. Listen, maybe you're here today and things are great in your life. Praise God. Every good gift comes down from the Father of lights above. Praise the Lord if your life is good right now. But there are many people in this church that are suffering deeply today. And so we need to link arms together. We need to hold one another up. We need to pray for one another. We need to preach the gospel to one another. Because our endurance together proves that we are faithful servants of God. And so may it be, come what may, that that we're going to rest our days in the goodness of Jesus. May it be that whatever comes our way, we will serve Jesus all our days. So brothers and sisters, let's endure suffering because the gospel is true and Jesus is worth it. We must endure suffering. Number two, Paul tells us we must embody Christ-likeness. We must embody Christ-likeness. So Paul changes the subject here in verse 6, and he begins to describe the character of a servant of God. Listen again to verses 6 and 7. He says, By purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech and the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left. You see, Paul is being criticized for not being a successful apostle. His preaching wasn't as good as others. He wasn't receiving a full-time salary with benefits for his ministry. There were just these other apostles that seemed way more successful than Paul. You know, if Paul were alive today, people would probably say things like this about him. Man, his preaching is just not that engaging. He just, listen, he just doesn't have a large following on social media. He's not getting invited to speak at any of the large conferences. I mean, this guy hasn't even pastored a church more than a thousand people. You might say things 
today about him like that. But listen, Paul is not concerned with these earthly measures of success. For him, the true mark of a faithful servant is not success, but character. And so he lists nine ways that his character is proof of his ministry. He has listed all of them there in verses 6 and 7. And do you see how Paul is not concerned with results here? He doesn't say how many churches he started. He doesn't say how many people have come to faith through his ministry. He doesn't say, hey, look at all of these miracles that I have performed. He doesn't say, look at how many ministers I have raised up and sent out through around the world. Paul's definition of ministry success is godly character. That's what it means to be a successful minister, a successful servant of God. And notice how these things are a gift. You know, you you could read this list like a bunch of great qualities that Paul just has. And this guy's just a great guy. But right in the middle, he mentions the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a gift to Paul. Paul doesn't control the Spirit of God. The Spirit was given to him as a gift. And I think Paul would say, yes, all of these are gifts in his life. All of these are because of the grace of God. He does not deserve them. Paul is not saying here, listen, guys, I'm just awesome. I'm pretty great. No, he's celebrating these things as the gift of grace in his life. And notice also how all of these things are just qualities of being like Jesus. Paul is not just giving us a list of virtues, just being like, hey, these are good ideas. If you want to be like that, it's probably a good idea. These things are in Paul's life because he is striving to be like Jesus. Jesus is the perfect picture of purity and knowledge. No one has ever been more patient or kind than Jesus. His ministry was marked by the blessing of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is always full of genuine love. His words are always true. He was the one filled with the power of God. He was the righteous one wielding it as a weapon of grace. You see, the goal of the Christian life is to simply be more and more like Jesus. A faithful servant will be more and more like Jesus. And so this is where we need to focus as a church. It can be easy to be distracted by the wrong metrics. I mean, think about this. What if Jesus showed up to church today? came to Christ Fellowship Church and walked through our doors this morning. What if he showed up and said, hey guys, how is Christ Fellowship Church this morning? Would he be impressed if he said, Jesus, listen, we've, we've been having close to 300 people come every Sunday. Would he be impressed if we said, well, listen, our budget is the biggest it's ever been in our history as a church. Listen, people are certainly important. Jesus is happy that you are here at church today. 
and money is important, he is glad to receive every dollar that we give as an act of worship to him. But what do you think he would want to see most among us? Well, hasn't he already told us? Isn't he telling us in his word here? Purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the power of the Holy Spirit, genuine love, truthful speech, the power of God, weapons of righteousness. That's what he wants, and that's what we should want too. So let's forget any kind of measure of worldly success and let's remember that faithful servants of God will be like Jesus. So brothers and sisters, let's strive to be more and more like Jesus for servants of God will embody Christ-likeness. So we must embody Christ-likeness. Number three, and lastly, we must embrace the mystery. So Paul moves on to give us even more reasons why his ministry is commendable. And he gives us pairs of words that are opposites of one another. Look again at verse 8. He says, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we are treated as imposters and yet are true. There have been times where Paul was honored and praised in times where he was dishonored and slandered. He has been called a fake, an imposter. But he says, my ministry is true and genuine. And he goes on in verse 9. Look at what he says. He says, as unknown and yet well known. As dying and behold we live. As punished and not yet killed. He's been through times where people didn't know him or know his heart. But he says, look, the Lord knows me. He's been through times where he felt like dying, yet the Lord gave him abundant life. He has been punished, and yet he's still kicking. He's still alive. God is not yet done with him. You know, what Paul is talking about here is the mystery of living for the kingdom of Christ. Sometimes this mystery is called the upside-down kingdom. To live for King Jesus is to live completely upside down from the way of the world. I mean, didn't Jesus teach us this? Just think of some of the things he taught us. Blessed are the poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. The first shall be last, and the greatest among you must be your servant. For whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. You see, following Jesus seems backwards. It seems like the opposite of how we should want to live. I don't know if you're like me or not, but... I'm a child of the 80s and the early 90s, and it was cool to wear your pants backwards at some point for some reason. Who knows why? Crisscross, maybe, right? They know why. But as ridiculous as that seems, the world looks at us following Jesus, 
and they say, that looks ridiculous. The world is saying, look, go and be true to yourself. And Jesus says, come and deny yourself. The world is saying, go, be independent and be strong. And Jesus says, come, needy and weak. The world is saying, go, be the hero of your story. And Jesus says, come, surrender to me. Now, why would we want to do this? Why is Paul willing to embrace this way of living? Why should we want to embrace this way of living? Well, because Jesus doesn't just tell us to live like this. Jesus did it first. Jesus is the infinitely glorious treasure of heaven, and he left heaven to become a human like us. Listen, the one who holds 200 billion trillion stars together by the word of his power became a baby who had to be held in his mother's arms. And while he was born to be king and to redeem his people, they rejected him. He was despised and betrayed. He was abandoned by his friends. He was arrested and abused by his own justice system. He was beaten. He was mocked. He was cursed. This king was given a crown of thorns. He was given a royal robe that they ripped off of him. And this king was exalted, lifted up on the cross where he suffered where he bled, where he died. Listen, Jesus conquered our sin by suffering in our place. He defeated the devil by shedding his blood. And he became the king of all of heaven and all of earth by laying down his life for us. Now, of course, God raised him from the dead and he is right now seated at the right hand of the Father and he is calling us to serve him, to embrace the way of the cross, to embrace the mystery of the kingdom, to lose our lives for him. That's why Paul was willing to live like that. And that's why we should be willing to live like that, too. You know, maybe you're here today and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus. Listen, the world's telling you, hey, you're a good person. And in many ways, you probably are. The world is telling you, listen, you can believe whatever you want, and in the end, it's going to be okay. But hear the words of Jesus. Repent and believe the gospel. That's his message. Turn from your sins and believe in him. Believe that he died and rose again to save you. And if you'll do that today, if you'll surrender your life to Christ today, you can be saved. You can do that right now. You can call upon the Lord to save you. And you can join us in living a life of surrender to King Jesus. If you've never done that, would you do that today? Would you call upon Christ?
Repent and believe in the gospel today. And like I said, you can join us in living this life of surrender. So what does it look like to live a life of surrender? What does it look like to embrace the mystery? Well, Paul gives us the final three marks of his ministry there in verse 10. Look at those now. Look at verse 10. The first one he says, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. What a way to describe the Christian life. You know, there are those who would lead us to believe that following Jesus is always easy. Maybe it's a song on Christian radio or a best-selling Christian book. There's almost this idea out there that it's wrong to be sad as a Christian. Hey, don't be sad. Jesus is alive. Hey, don't be upset. Jesus wins in the end. Friends, that's bad theology. Jesus was sad. He wept at his friend's death. He wept over the city of Jerusalem. I mean, a man of sorrows was his name. You see, the Christian life is full of sorrow. That's true. But listen, it's also full of joy. Paul says, sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. We can have endless joy because no matter what sorrow we face, Jesus will never leave us. No matter what pain we must endure, Jesus is our comfort and our rest. Listen, no matter how many tears we shed, Jesus is coming to wipe every single one of them away. Our unshakable joy is rooted in our unshakable Savior. His love will never fail. His grace will never run out. His peace will never fade away. In this world, there will be endless sorrows, but in Jesus, there is endless joy. So let's embrace the mystery of the kingdom. And let's be sorrowful, yet always rejoicing in Jesus. Look at the last two that he mentions there in verse 10. He says, as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing, yet possessing everything. Paul was certainly not in this for the money. His ministry was not a get-rich-quick scheme. In many ways, he gave up everything to follow Jesus. But it was worth it for Paul. He says his poverty led to the riches of grace for many. Just think of the, the, the people he led to the Lord, the churches that he started, the people he sent out. Paul was willing to be poor, to make many others rich. In fact, Paul was willing to have nothing, as he says here. Because in having nothing of this world, he says he ended up possessing everything. Sounds like Paul is bad at math. How can he say that? How can he have nothing and have everything? Well, because Paul knew that having Jesus is having everything. You can have everything in this world, money, success, fame, and fortune, 
power and influence. You can have it all. But if you don't have Jesus, you have nothing. That's the mystery of the kingdom. You see, you can lose everything. You can lose your money. You can lose your house. You can lose all your stuff. You can lose your career. You can even lose your life. You can lose it all. And if you have Jesus, you have everything. Christ is the immeasurable treasure. And he is the treasure we can never lose. We will lose many things in this life. We will one day even lose our own lives, but we will never lose Jesus. And that's really what this is all about, isn't it? That's why we're here. We're not here just to try and be good people. We're not here because a little religion in your life is a good thing. We're not here because we've got nothing better to do on a Sunday morning. We're here because we have a treasure we can never lose. Jesus is the treasure we will never lose. And so we serve him. We serve him. We endure suffering for his sake. We embody his life in the way that we live And we embrace the mystery of the kingdom. And listen, when everyone around us is saying, you're doing it wrong, we look to Jesus and we serve him. Because the gospel is true. Because Jesus is worth it. And because he is the treasure we will never lose. Let's pray together. Let's just take a moment to quiet our hearts before the Lord. Let me give you just a moment to pray. If you need to call out to the Lord for some reason you want to praise him, if you just take a moment to to pray to the Lord together. Father, we're so thankful for your word today. God, we're we're thankful that even in this long list of things that Paul is defending in his ministry, you have spoken to us. And that you've shown us that the gospel is true and that Jesus is worth any suffering we may face. You've called us to live a life of Christ-likeness as, your, as a grace to us. So thank you for that, Lord. And God, you've called us to embrace the mystery of living for a kingdom that seems 
upside down to this world. Where we are sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Where we are poor, yet making many rich. Where we have nothing, yet possessing everything. Thank you for the unshakable joy we have in Jesus. Thank you for the immeasurable treasure that he is. Help us, Lord, as we seek to serve him. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.